0: The following message was given by Dr. Bill Brackney, Distinguished Professor of Christian Thought and Ethics at Acadia University and Acadia Divinity College on Sunday, March 30, 2014. It is entitled, Acadia and the Sisterhood. We now join Dr. Brackney. I'm very grateful to be involved in this winter semester of chapel services here at Manning Chapel at Acadia University. Thank you for the special invitation. I'm sure that many of you who saw my title this evening anticipated discourse on the distaff or feminine element in Acadia's community. Instead, I want to draw attention to the larger community of sister institutions that emerged in the early 19th century of which Acadia was a key component. It is my contribution to the celebration of Acadia's 175th anniversary. Our New Testament text aptly describes Acadia's beginnings, and I quote, Not many were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, end quote. Acadia was founded as a religiously affiliated academy and later a university in the Baptist tradition. This hearty, contentious collection of dissenters, and that's among the nicest things that have been said about us, harkens from the first decades of the 17th century in England. Mostly craftsmen, shopkeepers, farmers, and laborers, the meaner sort of folk, as Presbyterians in that era called us, Baptists gradually spread through England, Wales, and Scotland, and thence to Europe, North America. Africa, and Asia. They are now found in virtually every country on earth, sometimes as an underground movement. You may have noticed recently in the news that uh, the newly installed acting president of the Republic of Ukraine is in fact a Baptist minister. Baptists are devoted to religious experience, scriptural authority, congregational governance, and religious liberty. Doctrinally they emphasize Christology and the spiritual nature of the church. Originally Baptists had few leaders that were formally educated but across the spectrum there was a deep yearning for studies. They were anxious to join other dissenters like independents, Presbyterians, and Quakers who were in the main better educated. So beginning in 1679 Baptists commenced an energetic program to open schools, colleges, seminaries, and eventually universities to meet two needs. First, a trained ministry, and secondly, a Christian citizenry. The first institutions were academies, later called colleges, in Britain. Bristol, Stepney, Rawdon, Aberystwyth, and Cardiff. From the alumni roster at Bristol, graduates fanned out to the North American colonies, to Rhode Island, South Carolina, and Pennsylvania in particular. From Stepney, which was located outside London, they settled in Montreal, New York, Boston, and Wolfville. The results were to constitute a roster of fledgling schools that met the needs of congregations and communities planted in remote areas. These schools were continually in touch with one another, exchanging faculty, administrators, sharing resources, and validating each other's programs of study. This came to be called the Baptist Institutional Sisterhood, hence my title Acadia and the Sisterhood. The Sisterhood followed the designs of missioners and far-sighted educationists. Schools of the prophets, they called them, reminiscent of our Old Testament narrative read earlier. Gradually, a school was established by 1860 in every state in the United States and each of the Canadian provinces. Hopewell Academy in central New Jersey was first, then the College of Rhode Island, later to be known as Brown University, main literary and theological institution, later to be called Colby College, Hamilton and Rochester, New Hampton, Richmond, Wake Forest, Furman, Mercer, Georgetown, Denison, Kalamazoo, Franklin, Bucknell, Alderson, and a place called Shirtliff. Far away in the west were Linfield and Redlands. In Canada, Following the Baptist College in Montreal, which was first, came Acadia, Woodstock College, later to become McMaster University, Feller Institute in Quebec, Prairie College, and Brandon in Manitoba. At its peak in the 1920s, the historical register of Baptist institutions of higher education numbered 337 at last count. The character of the sisterhood was consistently drawn along several lines. First, while being a denominational effort, early Baptist schools had written into their charters a no religious test clause, providing for freedom of admission and expression among faculty and students. A second feature of the sisterhood was inclusiveness in admitting students from various social groups, religious denominations, and personal backgrounds. Third was an unusually high standard of educational leadership to administer the institutions. Acadia, for instance, drew upon a group of outstanding clergy, even then known as the Fathers who served leading congregations in the Maritimes. Finally, contrary to their autonomous congregational governance and their honorness overall, Baptist educators understood the need, indeed the necessity, to cooperate broadly. Baptists were among the most creative educationists in North America in creating types of schools to meet specific needs. The first post-undergraduate school, the College of Rhode Island in Providence, was for many years unique in its undertaking and impact. Brown was destined to be one of an elite New England classical-style college that admitted Latin literates only and produced lawyers, physicians, teachers, and a few ministers. Brown would not be the most ideal institution, however, for a denomination of mostly farmer mechanics. Instead, two hybrid types came forth, the literary and theological schools and the manual labor institutes. The L&Ts, as they were known, combined a three or four year study of the arts, mathematics, and some rudimentary science with an appended course in ministerial studies. They met a need to move rapidly relatively uneducated men into leadership roles near home. Many teachers, preachers, businessmen, and civic leaders graduated from the l The l were also slowly open to women who studied culinary arts, decorative arts, stenographic methods, and home economics. Their close cousins, the manual labor schools, were much more practical in giving poor students the opportunity to supplement their basic studies in the arts and sciences with practical apprenticeships in farming, animal husbandry, carpentry, and metal craft. These schools were a marvel in self-sufficiency, with students providing not only necessary maintenance tasks, but producing articles for sale. Everything from furniture and hardware to coffins. One of the overarching values of the two hybrid types of institutions is that these were more easily sold politically to legislatures as institutions of public value than sectarian religious schools to train ministers. Only later did Baptists start post-undergraduate seminaries to train a special class of ministers and missionaries. These institutions, patterned after Newton Theological Institution in Massachusetts, required a seven-year commitment and advanced studies in several languages, including Greek, Hebrew, Chaldee, and more exotic tongues like Sanskrit, Chinese, and Farsi. At the other end of the theological spectrum were Bible colleges, yet another breed of Baptist schools. These included the Free Will Baptist Bible School, the first, in New York, the Gordon Missionary and Training School in Massachusetts, and the United Baptist Bible Training School, much later. We call it now today Crandall University in New Brunswick. Time fails me tonight to note other Baptist accomplishments in the sisterhood of schools, like 18 colleges for freed slaves, two Indian universities, and three international schools for immigrants. Our beloved Acadia reflected all of the early models. From Brown, Acadia underscored its commitment to the higher branches of classical and scientific studies. It also fit well into the earliest group of LNTs and was a combination with the manual labor ideal as well. Like Hamilton, later called Colgate, and Waterville, again later Colby, Acadia was a literary and theological school. One could attend the school and gain an arts degree as well as completing a basic ministerial course. Those aspiring to be good citizens came here, as our charter put it, from, quote, the great body of the farmers of this province, end quote. Acadia, thus, was a working farm and shops, in addition to providing a full schedule of classes, imitating Richmond, Wake Forest, and Mercer Universities, all founded within the same decade of the 1830s to serve and improve the regional cultures. By agreement in the sisterhood, advanced theological studies in the Maritimes were to be undertaken at Newton in Massachusetts or later at Rochester Seminary or Hamilton Theological School in New York. Acadia was thus one of several northeastern feeder schools, as they were called in theological studies terms. It is not well known that in the 1880s, Acadia closed its fragile theological faculty for a time to merge its training of maritime ministry candidates with Toronto Baptist College, later McMaster University. However, owing to grassroots needs, especially here in Nova Scotia, a full-fledged theological department was reintroduced in 1900. The saga of Acadia's theological program was an illustration of the strategic nature of the sisterhood. The sisterhood of schools was further reflected in its sharing of faculty, administrators, and resources. Early in its history, Acadia benefited from the leadership of John Mockett Cramp, who began his Canadian career at Canada Baptist College in Montreal. He had emigrated from England. Cramp lasted here in Wolfville many years, and his great library is now at the heart of our Special Collections in Vaughan Library. Another founder, Edmund A. Crawley, ventured into the Southland of the United States where he taught at two Baptist-related schools before returning to Acadia. Theodore Harding Rand, an Acadia man, became the first chancellor of McMaster University and designed its curriculum. He was a remarkable person. He used to sleep overnight in railroad depots to save the university travel expenses. Likewise, Daniel H. Welton, one of our first graduates, began teaching rhetoric, Hebrew, and theology here and ended up at Toronto in McMaster Hall. Another Acadia alumnus, Austin Kennedy DuBois, went far afield to Shurtleff College in Illinois and later to become the second president of Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. In the 1870s, Jacob Gould Sherman, a PEI boy, took his degree at Acadia, taught English here, and then went on to teach literature and philosophy and ultimately became president at Cornell University. He, as a matter of fact, also helped to develop the Philippines policy during a time of uh, the expansion of the United States' interest in the Pacific. One of his contemporaries, E.W. Crawley, left Acadia to start a sister school in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, kind of an outpost at the other end of the country. George Barton Cutton, one of my favorites, whose worthy figure adorns the presidential portraits in University Hall, went on to lead Colgate University through one of its most productive eras. Two generations ago, a distinguished literary scholar and linguist, Watson Kirkconnell, came here to teach and ultimately to be our president. More recently, our own beloved Millard R. Cherry, Departed Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, to spend the rest of his life in Wolfville teaching theology and ethics. I'm privileged to occupy the chair that honors his name. So also James R.C. Perkin left a promising career at McMaster University to journey east to Acadia's Religious Studies Department, then to become our dean, vice president, and finally president. Acadia benefited immeasurably from its sisterhood. Exposure to larger continental realities and resources was achieved many times over. John D. Rockefeller's benevolence was twice to find its way to Wolfville through the American Baptist Education Society as well as the American Baptist Home Mission funds. Talented younger scholars were drawn to Minus Basin as well as seasoned educators. Acadia was listed, at the turn of the last century, among some of the finest small universities in North America, Colgate, Brown, Stetson, Denison, Kalamazoo, Bucknell, Colby, and larger pace-setting institutions like Chicago, Columbian, Des Moines, McMaster, Baylor, and Temple universities, all part of the Baptist sisterhood. Over the years, for a variety of reasons, the sisterhood has given way to provincial and regional networks and national and indeed international accrediting associations. Religious denominational identity at Acadia continues in the Divinity College and in the University Board of Governors. Baptist heritage is strongly witnessed here in Manning Memorial Chapel where tradition and generosity carefully parallel chapels at Colby, Colgate, Bucknell, Stetson, Wake Forest, and Richmond. As one wanders up the hill from the old First Church and its graveyard of worthies here in Wolfville, one can still see vestiges of the farm, not unlike that at Richmond, Mercer, or Furman. The quadrangle here is very similar to the one found at Kalamazoo College at Newton Theological Institution. And of course, University Hall is a uniquely surviving piece of denominational era architecture. All of these tangible aspects remind us of the founding and nurturing years of our great heritage when men and women far and wide spoke of the college by the far waters, the distant Canadian sister of literary and theological, manual labor, and university aspirations. Acadia has really lived two lives. One is a cozy, quaint existence in a seaside village down east. The other is related to an ever-broadening world of service. 175 years ago, it was the sisterhood of schools that opened up a village academy to the world. The lives of young farmers, mechanics, shopkeepers were transformed here. A few prophets even rose from our ranks. A goodly inheritance from the sisterhood. Long live the memory of the sisterhood. Amen. Thank you.